most, some of you may know this, some of you may not know it, but I am, at least naturally by my mom and dad, I am an only child. I know that's shocking to you, right? And, and, and yes, I was the proverbial only child growing up. I was spoiled, right? You know, my, especially by my mom. My dad would always get mad at my mom. You're spoiling the kid, you know? And I'm like, yes, she is. Leave me alone, right? I love you, mommy. Whatever. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, seriously, I was a, I was just a, I was one of those spoiled kids. And, you know, it was one of those deals growing up that, you know, people say, how come you're so centered now and not so spoiled? And I'm like, well, I'm like anybody else. I really am the heart of me. But I would say, honestly, part of it was just a, a work of God, but part of it was going off and living with people, right? There's nothing like living with people in college to kind of open you up to your selfishness, right? But I, I, I've said, I told Randall this about three to six months into our marriage. I said, I said, babe, I, I really had no idea how selfish I really was until I got married, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like I have to share my toothpaste, right? And we have to share a toilet, and we have to share a, a shower. We have to, we have to, like, I have to go to bed at the same time as her, right? That's how at least it was the first six months. Like, okay, let's go to bed, right? Whatever. It's like I gotta stay up with you. Okay, I'm so excited, right? There's this all this stuff, right? This, there's this whole idea in the nature of marriage that you that you just have this picture really of how selfish you are. But then we had kids, <laughs> and you have no idea how selfish you are until you have kids. Because you got this little person who's 100% solely dependent upon you. And at any moment, in any second of any time of the day, they can scream bloody murder with this expectation of you coming and dropping everything that you were doing. And I'll be honest with you. I loved getting married and I loved having kids. It was the most miserable time of my life, right? Because it was a death. There's nothing that defines marriage and having children more than death, right? Death, death, right? Death to self, death to your pride, death to all of these things. You know what I'm talking about. You're laughing because you're like, yes, and you're sitting next to you. If you're newly married, you're like, no, no, I don't feel that way about you. But you do, right? When you finally get confident to be honest with one another, you will recognize that marriage is death. Praise God. Because the reality that I came to in my life was that if I'm going to be a good husband, then it is death to self. I only, my greatest joy is found, this is from John Piper, my greatest joy is found in bringing joy to my spouse. Right? Desiring God. Go read the book. John Piper, Desiring God. It's chapter on marriage. The greatest, the greatest joy I find in life is by bringing joy to my spouse, which I realized in, in our marriage. And I'm not good at it. Randall, I'll tell you this week, I've been terrible this week at it, right? But I mean, there's just the reality. I'm pursuing. I'm trying the best I can. But I recognize if I'm going to grow, if we're not going to grow in our marriage, I'm going to grow as a father, then there has to be a shift from selfishness to selflessness, right? Not focusing on me, the individual, but focusing on my wife and my children and recognizing that my goal in life and my call from God as mutual submission, submitting to my wife and loving her as Christ loves the church. Not provoking my children to wrath, but investing into them and growing them and causing them to be Christ-like because of our investment into their lives. Am I perfect? Are we perfect? No. 
But I recognize if I'm going to grow and mature as a husband, that there has to be this shift in my life from selfishness and my only child syndrome that I grew up in to a selflessness of preferring and of humbling and of choosing to sacrifice. I say all to say because this past Sunday and past Sunday in worship, we were singing uh, that song. Basically, we were singing the Lord's Prayer. Remember, our, our, you know, your will be done. That was kind of the phrase. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we were in song. We were in worship, and I looked around, and people had their hands raised. And it, was a, it was a great psalm. People were really getting into it. And all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm just sharing this in all honesty. I talked about this on Wednesday night at our vintage release time. So I encourage you. We'll put it on podcast sometime once we kind of work through it. But this is a, a word that I felt like God gave us in season. Totally shifted everything we were going to do that night. And just spoke what I felt like God was speaking in the moment. And it was simply this. I felt like God was speaking, saying, listen, Steve, you're singing a song about my will and in, in, my, in, the, in the shift that, I need, that needs to take place. The shift needs to take place in the, in the life of vintage. It's simple. They're, we're singing these songs about my will. But the reality is that we as a people at vintage are viewing God's will selfishly. And so we're singing these songs, we're crying out for God's will, and we are defining God's will for him by what we want him to do for us. And what God was speaking into the moment, I felt very strongly, was he said, Steve, I do have a perfect and pleasing will. I have a desire of things that I want to do. And when you cry out, your will be done, you need to know what that is. And in that, it's going to be a selfless thing. And what God was speaking in the moment, clearly, was like saying, Steve, I'm, when I look down, what I'm looking for, what I'm looking at, is vintage as a whole, primarily. And secondarily, am I looking at the individual? That he wants us to be a people who think body and bride before we think individual. What God wants to do for the whole and how he's moving in the whole primarily and then secondarily looking at ourselves. One of the key verses that we looked at was Jeremiah 29. Now a lot of you know this verse, 29.11 very familiar, we love this verse. It's, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we love that verse. We read that verse and, and, and we, we receive it for ourselves saying, God has a plan for my life, right? God has a, a hope for my future. But when we say that, we immediately take it out of context. Because the context of the verse is very clear. He, in verse 4, he says, the word of God through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. And so what God is speaking here in Jeremiah 29, 11 is very clear. He's saying, for I know the plans I have for you, Israel, people of God, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, children of God, not to harm you, Israel. Plans to give you a hope, Israel. And Israel, I want to give you a future. And the idea that we, we, we talk about on Wednesday night, the thing that I want to focus on here, is that Jeremiah's words directed from, they were directed from God to the people of Israel as a whole, 
the nation of Israel as a whole. Which simply means this. When God looks at his people, he sees the body and the bride as a whole first. And then secondarily, he sees individuals who make up the whole. And what he's asking and what he's saying to us in the context of our maturing is to go from selfishness of individual to selflessness of thinking body of Christ and the church primarily. If we're honest in our own lives and our own walk with Jesus, we think personally and individually in our desires and our longings first. And we think if we're happy, if we're whole and we're content, then the whole church will be blessed. But what God says, no, no, actually what I'm looking for is for you to focus first on what is good for the whole. And secondarily, what is best for yourself. We see this even scripturally speaking, and it's not hard to find this. Jesus said, oh, Father, I don't want to die, but not my will, but your will be done. Because this is what's best for you, Father, and ultimately what's best for the whole of the body of Christ, the whole of the church. Secondarily, individually, this is not best. It's not best for me. I don't want to die, but it is best for the whole. We see all the apostles, all the apostles, they are martyred and killed for the faith. Why? Because suffering, although it wasn't best for them as individuals, although it was because it was best for the body, but ultimately it was best for the body so that the body could be made whole and be encouraged and be strengthened. And so what I feel like God is speaking, and I want you to hear me in this, is that if we're going to mature to the place that God is calling us to, then we have to shift our vision. Yes, he loves us as individuals. Yes, he wants to bless us. Yes, he loves that he, he loves to meet the desires of our heart. But let me say this. He will never do any of that if it is in contradiction to what is best for the body of Christ. God will never bless us if it ultimately is not best for the body of Christ. Why? Because his primary heart and his primary vision is what is best for the church because he is about, listen, We all know this. God is about preparing a bride for Jesus. That's the primary call of God. Not to bless you for your own personal sake, but to grow the body and mature it so it's a prepared bride for Jesus. And so we said on Wednesday night is there has to be a shift And how we view life from selfish and individualism to Jesus, selflessness, and a focus on what is best for the body of Christ. Therefore, our lives are to be lived not for self, but for the body and for Jesus. And we said on Wednesday there has to be a shift in our own heart. Because by nature... We are only children. 
just like me. You know what I'm meaning that, right? By nature, we are selfish. We read Scripture selfishly. We read Scripture that God will speak to us for our own personal life rather than reading Scripture because God, what might, God might first speak for the body of Christ as a whole secondarily for us. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is simply a picture of that. God saying, listen, I have plans for you as a whole. So what I want to do this morning is, is simple. I want to break, I want to just kind of, kind of dive into Jeremiah 29. I'm not going to go super deep. You could spend a real, real, real long time going verse by verse in Jeremiah 29. You could spend probably a couple of months in Jeremiah 29, right? A lot of things God is saying in the midst, but I want to pull out just a, a few primary things this morning. I feel like God is speaking to, to us that's revealed to us in the way that he relates to the people of Israel and the nation of Israel here in Jeremiah 29. So have your Bibles turn to Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. It's interesting, even the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the, the largest um, book of, of, a, of a prophet, basically, right? It's the largest prophetic um, word that we have, and this quoted again and again and again in the New Testament. Jeremiah was a guy who hated his life. To a, to a degree. He was a guy who was ostracized and kicked out of his family. He was thrown into a cistern, a big well at one point. He was completely uh, pushed away by the people of Israel. He was a prophet who was never received. That's why he's called the weeping prophet, because he was hardly ever received by anyone. Right? He lived his life. He lived his life isolated and alone because he was being obedient to God. He was a guy who, who struggled in his selflessness, but still lived in that place. And at one point says, your word is like a pent-up fire in my bones that it has to get out, and I'm frustrated that it has to. Why do I? said, all day long people beat me down all day long. He was living in a place of selflessness. Proclaiming the word of God because he was more interested in what was best for the people of God than what was best for himself. So he comes in and finally in Jeremiah 29, he gets to give a good word. He gets to give a word of hope. It's the first time in 28 chapters he gets to give a word of hope, a word of encouragement, right? A word that's actually going to, quote unquote, be good. And even in it, it's a difficult word. Let's read on. Verse 4 says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that I, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams uh, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For Israel, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. 
and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you as a nation will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So God speaking speaking here to the Israel, speaking to them as a nation. So the word that he has for them is to the nation. We understand this. Remember when you were a kid? I'll never forget when I was a kid. I was like eight years old, right? Eight o'clock. And I turned the TV on to watch the A-Team, right? The best show on television, B.A. Barakas, right? You just love Mr. Mr. T's is cool, anything he does. Mr. T, right? You just love Mr. T, right? You just love him, right? Turn it on, and there's Dan Rather. I'm like, what? And all of a sudden, it says, presidential address. And I'm like, ugh. So I turn to every channel, just hoping one of them's not playing it, right? Back in the day, you know how it was, like four channels, right? You got Fuzzy TBS back in the day. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is terrible. So I turned to Fuzzy TBS and watched the Andy Griffiths show in fuzziness, right? So it's just like, oh, because every, because here you had what? You had President Reagan at the time, right? And he is addressing the whole nation, Right? He's, he's speaking to the entire nation. And this is what God is doing through Jeremiah. It's basically a God address through Jeremiah speaking to the entire nation at one time. And the first thing I think that we can deduce from the scripture is God looking and saying, you are different, Israel. You are different. And we see, and we see this, not even in verse four, just the, and I'm kind of just reading between the lines here, but it's not difficult, where it says, carried into exile. Now, do you have an understanding of that? If you are carried into exile, it means that you are going against your will. They don't want to be in Babylon. They don't want to be carried from their homes. They don't want to be ripped out of their houses. They don't want to be ripped out of their culture, right? They don't want to be ripped out of their freedom, but they have been, right? Babylon is coming in, come in, destroy Jerusalem, burned all the houses, right? Basically take them into captivity and literally carried them into Babylon and exile. And all of a sudden in the moment what you have, you have, they have these customs that are strange to them. They have the environment that is strange. Even the landscape is strange, right? They went from being free now to being captives. It's literally like going from light, going immediately, snap your fingers into darkness. In the word from 1 Peter 2, where Peter says, listen, we are strangers, sojourners, pilgrims living in a strange land. Fits the moment. They would say, yes, We are strangers in a strange land. We hate these people. We hate what they've done to us. We are different. This is the first, this is the, this is the context of Jeremiah 29 verses 4 through whatever I just read, verse 14. This is the context of Jeremiah. This is not a happy moment. This is not a a glorious moment. This is a the most difficult moment of their life. They're living as strangers in a strange land. 
You see, I think that, again, getting back to us, I believe God, as we, as we look at this and as we talk about Vintage 242, God speaking to the whole of us, right? The whole body, the, the people of Vintage. What we can say is that God has called us, our, our vision, our vision of Vintage is clear. We are all about community transformation, right? We've been called into a community. But in this community in which we live, guess what? We are different, We are strangers and we're living in a strange land. The customs and the way that they, the people around us live, the people who are the loudest in this campsite, they are different from us, right? It is difficult. It is strange to us, or at least it should be. We are called to be different and to, to live different. Our customs are different. This is not ultimately our home and we all understand that, right? This place that we it is it is home for now but it feels odd it doesn't necessarily connect with us fully and it never should because we are strangers living in a strange land but the word of god to israel was clear he calls he number two says you're a call to engage You were called to engage the community in which you live. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says to them, Now I know that you've been ripped out of your home. I know that you have been taken from the place that's comfortable for you and that you prefer and that you like. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to build houses. And I want you to settle down. I want you to plant gardens. And I want you to eat what they produce. I want you to marry and have sons and daughters. I want you to find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Now what you find here, I believe, and there's lots of things that you could say about this in the context of, uh, of these verses. But the thing I want to pull out is simple. God is looking at the Israelites as a nation. And he's saying to them, I am calling you as a nation to engage the community in which you live. I want you to give yourself to live there completely and wholeheartedly. I want you to fully engage. Basically, if you were going to be there, then be all there. Basically, he says in these verses to plant roots, to grow the family, and to work hard. Listen, to engage meant to plant roots, to grow the family, and to work hard. Basically, he's saying it's you're stepping in, right? They were called to engage the community and not live antagonistically towards it. Simply put, God was saying, I want you to love all of the neighbors that you hate with everything inside of you. I want you to engage everything in life. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to work hard for the people that you work for. I want you to engage fully in the place that you are. Please, by God, you cannot fall into the sin of the culture. Because then you, listen, then you lose influence. See, that's the nature of what I think Jeremiah is getting at here. He's getting to the place saying, when you do these things, when you plant roots, when you grow your family and you work hard in the name of of Yahweh God, then you have influence. 
But if you do not, and you live separated, and you live antagonistically, and you do not love well, then you have no influence, and God will not be spread to them. Basically, and you gotta, this is going to be really hard for some of you to receive, but God said the best thing, the best thing for the people of God is to be taken into captivity so they can be evangelists and share the message with a pagan nation. Can you receive that? That God was satisfied and comfortable with them living, suffering, so that they could be evangelists to the very ones who needed them. Because they were not obedient to go from the place that they were to go into Babylon and share the good news of Yahweh God with the people who needed it. The message is the same for us. We've been called to transform our community. Let me tell you something. If you don't engage your community, and if we don't engage the community as a whole at Vintage and do well with Kids Beach Club, right? And do well in our community outreach and do well in the things that God is calling us to outside of the four walls, then our time here is wasted. Because we've been in call just like the Israelites were called as a people and a nation as a whole to engage community. To give themselves fully. To influence the culture in which they're living. We said before, if we close, if we're not a church, if we close our doors and the community doesn't miss us, then we should have never been meeting in the first place. We have to be a church that people miss us if we go. Why? Because we've had such engagement that we've influenced the very culture around us. Why do you think that God wanted them to marry and to increase? Because when they did, they began to grow in numbers, and the numbers cause influence. We have to be a church who is thinking holistically and body and community first and secondarily what I want to do and how I want to serve, how, what I want to do at Vintage and the things that are on my heart, the things I want to do, da, 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 right? People got to stop. Listen, this is going to be really difficult for some of you to hear. Stop praying and asking God for what your calling is because that is an individual Focus that hinders you from actually focusing on the whole. If you pursue God and pursue prosperity of the whole, then by God, he will reveal calling and purpose. Don't focus on individual calling and purpose first. Focus on corporate calling and corporate purpose first. And then secondarily, he'll release calling. Third thing that we see is this. You are called to invest you were called to us. He looked, Jeremiah says, listen, he says in, in verse seven, right? He says in verse seven, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Basically, God's looking at them saying, I know this is difficult for you. Because you hate the people who have carried you into exile. But I want you to invest into and I want you to prosper the very people and the very city that has ripped you from your comfort zone, that's ripped you from your homeland and brought you into captivity. The context of this is God is looking at the Israelites saying, I know everything is opposite to what you want in life, but guess what? It's not about you. It's about prospering the whole 
It's about the whole making a difference in the world that I've carried you into. Does it offend you that God carried them into exile? God initiated that. Does that offend you? Because God said, I'm carrying you in so that you can make a difference, so that you can prefer the whole and give your life by engaging and by investing, right? The investing, seeking the prosperity of the city. Here's the message from God, right? To grow the city where they're now living. He's calling them to engage it and to invest into it with their time, right? To invest into it with the, the, through relationship with their neighbors. To invest into it through their work habits, right? Through their play, through their civic duties, etc., right? For the growth of the city, right? Calling them. Engage the community. Stop focusing on your world. Start focusing on the community in which you live and seeking their prosperity, and then, it has the, then God has the audacity not only to call them to prosper the city in practical ways, but then to spend their quiet time in prayer also praying for their captors. That's what he says here in verse 7, right? Pray to the Lord, because if it prospers, right, then you too will prosper. Pray for it. Give your time. Stop praying for yourself. Pray for the city, because if it prospers, then guess what? individually you'll prosper secondarily, right? You will prosper secondarily if the city that you pray for prospers. Basically what he's looking at is saying, stop praying for yourself as a primary action of your life and primarily seek the prosperity and to pray for others and your neighbors, the people in your workplace and all of this. Secondarily, of course, you can come and pray for the things on your own heart. Of course, secondarily, you can come and pray that God would meet your needs. Of course, right? That's the, that's the, that's the Lord's prayer. First, you are holy. We're focusing on God. Second, then coming down, we pray for, we say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, praying for the nations, praying for people, right? And then third in line is to pray that our, our daily bread will be given to us, right? Third. So God's coming and saying, you, Israel, are called to invest and to pray for them. Not that they would die horrible deaths because they took you into captivity, but to pray for prosperity. When's the last time you prayed for the prosperity of your boss? Let me tell you something. The greatest way God, Jesus expressed love that would change a world was not by condemning people, but loving them by death on a cross. We try to, we condemn people all day long for the sin that they are in. And think that that's going to help them come to Jesus. And what Jesus does is, no, no, let me express the fullness of my love as a blessing that will draw you to me. We see the lost and the distant from God come to Christ, not by condemning them, but by blessing them and seeking their prosperity. Ed Silvoso in his book, um, Prayer, I forget what it's called, some prayer book. He basically said, he said, the greatest way... The greatest way for us to evangelize is by praying for blessing and blessing people because that is the nature of how God expresses himself to people is by love, by loving them. How well do you love? 
God's saying to the Israel, the nation as a whole, you have to grow to a place of selfless love. And the fourth thing he says to them, and you in turn, you in turn will prosper. That's verse 7, right? Pray to the Lord for because if it prospers. If you are selfless in your life and you give your life to the city, I'm going to bless the city because you're praying for it. And in turn, you will prosper. But verse 11 and 12, God tells Israel, when he tells Israel, hey, when I look upon you, right, I know the plans that I have for you. My plans ultimately in time are to, are to prosper, like to give you a to hope and a future, right, to give you life. This is his ultimate thing, right? He's going to do this. This, the, this is the end result. But the point that I want you to, to see and the point I want to land is this. God's plan is to prosper the nation of Israel. But, his, but is, it, as a whole. It's a whole. Say, I want to come and I want to bless the nation. I want to, to bless the body of Israel. I want to, as, as, you, as you seek the prosperity of the city, as you go after these things, as you, enga- as, you, as you engage the community, as you invest yourself in the community transformation and seeking selflessness before selfishness, as you give your life, the end result will be prosperity also for you. The thing that I want us to see and what God is shifting, and I'm going to say this very, just I'm just going to use my own words, what I feel like God's speaking into my heart is this. If we're going to be a people who see a movement of God, if we're going to see a, be a people who watch him wreck our community with his divine love, if we're going to be a people who, who, who move in the fullness of the power of God and his spirit, I want to let you know that God said last Sunday, then stop focusing on yourself. Stop making that your priority. Yes, I recognize and God understands there are difficult moments and there are difficult seasons and there are things that happen in your life. Your parents are struggling. Your children are struggling, right? You're struggling in your own marriage. Yes, there is the understanding, yes, that there are times we've got to pray for ourselves. But I'm going to tell you and hear me in this. Maturity says do that even secondarily and seek first. Praying for others, seeking the prosperity of others, and focus on the body as a whole. Paul was in prison, being beaten, making the primary focus of his daily life, writing letters to churches that were in need. As a priority. Because it was more about them. He says, if I die, it's gain, but not my will, right? Because I know I still have things that I need to invest into the churches. Yes, I want to die, Paul said. It'd be so great to go to heaven and finally be with Jesus and be at peace, but it's not my will. It's ultimately me being used by God for the whole. And and God says very clearly, last Sunday, shift. Not condemning us, He said it because you've been praying for it. You've been asking God to move. You've been asking for his spirit to come. You've been asking for his fullness. We've been going after him. And he says, I love you enough to be honest with you. Stop seeking individual prosperity. Stop seeking individual calling and give yourself to the whole. Because when you do. When you do, then prosperity comes to the whole, and in turn, prosperity comes to you. Pray to the Lord, because if it prospers, you in turn will prosper. 
Our prosperity, our growth, our breakthrough individually is not an individual thing that we focus on. True biblical prosperity is that the whole group prospering, the whole the whole group, the church, the body growing and the strengthening in the body as a whole. We see this pictured in First Corinthians 12, 24, 26 it says God, Paul speaking, God has combined the individual members and now sees them as one body. He's combined the members into one body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And understanding Paul speaking is saying, stop focusing on self. It's about the body. God has taken all of us as individuals, done this, and he now, when he looks at you, he sees the whole first, and then secondarily he sees the individual. Do you see what I'm trying to get out here? It's a work of God to move us from selfishness to selflessness. It's the very thing I learned in marriage. It's the very thing I learned when I was having children. It's the very thing that God is speaking into our season. So here's what I want to say this morning. We have to shift. Why? Because it is a part of the step that God is calling us to if we want to see the breakthrough of God in our midst. If we want to see revival, as we call it, if we want to see renewal, if we want to see refreshing, if we want to see breakthrough, if we want to see whatever you want to call the word, then there has to be this shift of body first. And so our commitment as vintage is, is simple. We recognize this, and we recognize as a staff and as a, as a, as a leadership team that, that our call and our goal at Vintage is to help you come along and do this, okay, to make this shift. And so this fall, I'm just going gonna, gonna to throw some dates out to you, things we've already named. I'm going to throw some dates out. If you have a piece, of paper and a, pa- a piece of paper and a pen, I want you to write these dates down because I don't want you at the end to be able to say, we didn't know about this. Because we believe in the fall, God is doing several things, several initiatives that we want you to not be able to say, well, if I just didn't know about that or I would have done it, okay? So I'm going to throw out five things that we're doing to fulfill our mission to live upward, to live in relationship with Jesus, inward in discipleship and relationship with the community with one another, and then outward investing into our community. I want you to know these. I want you to invest into all of them in some form or fashion. The first thing is our small group initiative. Start, our small groups start September 9th, okay? September 9th. But July 29th, just two weeks from now, we are, for three weeks, you see the dates, okay? We're looking for those who want to host and facilitate these small groups, right? Simply to host and facilitate. I'm not going to go deep into our small groups. Scott's going to be doing that. That's his thing, right? Small groups. But hear me say this. Listen, everybody hear this. All of our small groups are exactly the same this coming fall. You said, I mean, remember Bill saying it when we came over to, we went to two services and, and I remember him saying, when we do that, Steve, it's hard because we're, we're separated. I don't get to see 11 o'clock and we're going after the same things, but it's, it's not the same because we're two services. So that what we're doing this fall is doing one big small group initiative and you're all doing the same thing. And we're looking at people who can simply host it and facilitate it because we want everybody on the same page. Is it 1 Corinthians 13 is the primary focus? Is that what it is, Scott? Okay. 1 Corinthians 13, this, this, that's the primary, it's the love chapter. We're focusing on it, right, for our small groups and other stuff. But that's what we're looking for. 
If, you want, if you're willing to host, facilitate a group, July 29th, our small groups sign up those three weeks, 19th, 26th, and September 2nd of August and September. And then we're going to launch into our small groups. It, listen, it is the primary way that we are, that we are um, living inward, engaging in relationship, doing discipleship, and investing into one another. Okay? Write the dates down. Don't forget. The second thing we're doing is our financial seminar. Our financial seminar. It's happening on August 11th, which is a Saturday, see, 9 to 4. One thing we've highlighted both in our, in our staff and in our leadership team is this, that finances is a, is a, is a cross-cultural issue. Christian and non-Christian alike are all wrestling with the area of finances, especially in the economy in which we live. If you want to, if you want to have a, a topic to discuss with someone in your neighborhood who is very opposite from you, then bring up finances because everyone is wrestling. And we recognize that this living inward piece for us is that we need to help you to biblically understand God's call for us and a biblical understanding of caring for the finances that he's entrusted to us. The second most talked about topic in all of scripture, money. And Bob has a lot to say about us. We've invited Crown Ministries to come in and to teach us and to guide us. Why? Because we believe, and Jesus did too, that our walk with him, our walk with him in large part will be defined by how we handle our finances, especially in the West where we are the, we are the most wealthy people in the entire world. Our money drives us from Jesus Every day if we're not careful. So we want to come along and invest into you so that you have a biblical understanding. It's also a living outward piece. Invite your neighbors. You see the packages, right? $50 package pays for two couples. That means it pays for you and your neighbors who maybe need to come. They don't have the money to do it, so you're going to make it happen. You're going to, you're going to skip three lunches this week so that you can provide for them to come. Why? Because it gives them an entry point to learn about Jesus, to open up the Bible, and something that will inter- eternally impact them. Okay? So come to the financial seminar Saturday, August 11th. Next thing is community connection. Randall already named it this morning, so I won't spend a whole lot of time. Our churches are coming together and living outward. Over about a thousand people coming together, taking the day and just serving our community, right? So signups for both the financial seminar and the signups for the community connection, both July 22nd. Okay? July 22nd. That's online registration for a financial seminar and the community connection. Signups begin. Love for you to be a part of that. Live outward. Next thing is this. We are a family, right? In every family, in every family, people have roles that they play. Parents and kids and grandparents, aunts and uncles, everybody has a role to play. We all at Vintage, as part of a body and part of a family, we all have roles to play, areas that we're serving, right? And so on August 12th and August 19th, we're going to have volunteer slash service opportunity signups, right? We're going to highlight every area of Vintage, that you can serve. You can get in and just connect and serve the body as a whole, okay? Hospitality and prayer team, our care team, children and youth, all of the ways that you can get connected. We're going to highlight those. If you're, if you consider, I'm just going to say this very humbly. If you consider vintage to be your church home, then you are grafted into our family and you need to find a place to volunteer and to serve. 
Okay? I'm not saying that to be mean, right? Say, beating you over the head, saying, you terrible person, sir. No, I'm saying, this is simply what it looks like to be part of a family. Right? You don't like the freeloaders, do you, in your family? Right? They come and ask you for money and then jet. Right? You want people who are fully invested in engaging in your family? This is what God is looking at. I'm calling people to serve in their family. So come on those days, August 12th, August 19th. It's also a fantastic way for those of you who don't necessarily feel ultimately plugged in. There's no better way to get plugged in than by getting alongside of people and serving with them. Okay? Be fantastic. And the last thing, and Randall already named it, is the Kids Beach Club sign-ups. This Thursday, July 19th, is a deadline that, that she has set up. But the reality is if you continue to sign up after that, they will be great, grateful. Looking for ten more people. I would just say this, right, as a pastor. The thing that excited me most in 2011, I want you to hear me. The thing that excited me most in 2011 was Abney Elementary and Kids Beach Club. Over 180 kids part of this Bible club every week. Over 60 kids. Listen, I told you when we, when I shared the, that when I fully, completely shared the gospel with them, it was after months and months and I didn't make it easy. I didn't tell them, and Jesus will be your friend, and come and live in your heart, and you'll have joy forever. No, what I said is you want to give your life to him, and you have to give everything that you have to him as a child. And as you continue to live, everything will be devoted to him. You don't live for yourself anymore. You live for Jesus. Like, okay, right? It's an exciting thing to watch these 60 kids. we got to baptize a few of them right here, the rock kids. I mean, it was just powerful. Just, oh, it was so good. Primary outreach. God right now is speaking to 10 people at Vintage to come alongside and invest into this. I'm asking that you would. And here's the thing. I'm going to say this very quickly. Again, Isaiah stood before God and God said, whom shall I send? Isaiah didn't have a calling from God. He didn't have, a, he didn't have this burning sensation of saying, oh, this is my purpose in life. He said, oh, here I am. Send me. Go ahead. I'm right here. Yeah, yeah. I'm available. <laughs> right? I love that picture of giving ourselves. I'm available and I'll go. This is what God's saying as it relates to our this, this calling. Our calling is to Jesus. Our calling is to the body. It's to primarily think whole first, secondarily individual. And he's saying, God, if you need someone, I will go. So I talked much longer than anticipated. But the call of God is simple. Think whole first. Think individual secondarily. Seek the prosperity of the community in which we live. And think individual second. Because as we give ourselves to the community as a whole, working together, we think whole first, body first. And we give ourselves, then in turn, as everything prospers, then we too will prosper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.